Thanks so much for downloading our podcast, Manage Your Money God's Way, presented by Compass Catholic Ministries. We are dedicated to helping you discover smarter ways to manage your money. Whether you're in debt or free of debt, we have the resources to help you reach your financial goals and live with a sense of joy and contentment. You can learn more simply by visiting our website, compasscatholic.org. My name is Steve Holbrook, and joining me today are the co-founders of Compass Catholic Ministries, John and Evelyn Bean. Well, John and Evelyn have spent the last eight years sharing their knowledge about how God wants us using the gifts that he has given us, both on radio and on our podcast. And today is our final show. The Beans have shared what the Bible tells us are the best ways to handle money. They do this in their Bible study, Faith and Money Matters. They have written a Bible study called Set Your House in Order, where they show you, using the Bible, how to organize those key documents that you have laying around the house in filing cabinets on post-it notes. They've also written a book called God, Marriage, and Money that's targeted to engaged and newly married couples. Today, being our final show, I asked John and Evelyn to share one last time the best advice from these areas. So let's start out with finances. Someone listening right now and are are really serious about getting themselves totally out of debt, what are three or four action steps that you want to share? Well, Steve, for me, that's a really easy one. And the the number one thing that people should start doing that uh, I guarantee you probably... 85% 85% of the population doesn't do it, is to count their pennies. In other words, know where everything, every little penny that you spend goes. Yes, in the beginning, it can be a real chore to do that. There's lots of software programs out there where you can download and, and see where you are. You match your receipts to your expenses, just like you match your checks to your checkbook register. And you keep track. Until you know where you're spending your money, you cannot make intelligent decisions about whether you want to continue to spend there. And you don't have to make this complicated. We worked with a couple for a year and a half. Uh, He was an attorney. She was a financial uh, individual. And they tracked every penny, and they just carried around just little, a tiny little pocket note thing that they jotted down uh, during the day all their expenses. And after 30 days, both of them almost simultaneously said the same thing, amazed on where our money is going. I would just carry a 3 by 5 card. I'd buy me a packet of 3 by 5 cards, and this is what we did when we first got started. I carried one in my shirt pocket. Evelyn carried one in her purse, and we wrote stuff down. The the interesting thing about it was that there were times when we wouldn't actually even purchase something, even though we thought we might. In the old times, before we were keeping track, we might have bought something. We didn't want to write it down, so we didn't buy it. You know, it's a good way of, of uh, uh, you know, kind of forcing yourself to cut back. Well, and I, I would build on that, John. Once you have that tracking for a month or so, that helps you build a budget that's decent and realistic. A lot of people, when they're creating a budget, just kind of pull numbers out of the sky. Oh, I think I spend about this much on groceries. or this, And then they try to make their spending match that budget that was created from nonsense. Whereas if you track your spending and build your budget on that, then it's realistic and you actually know, like John said, where your money's going, but you have tracked, so you're building it on a realistic basis, not just pulling numbers out of the air. So you're tracking every month. You're not doing it just for 30 days. Once you start building your budget, you can make adjustments along the way. 
Definitely. I mean, we do, um, we look at our budget every month, but in the beginning of the year, we do a, a big review of all the different categories because things change. You might want to change something you're subscribing to. Your life insurance costs may change. Your homeowner's insurance price may change. You may have a vacation you want to plan for or something that you want to renovate in the house. Or, or even, you know, your utility costs, like, for example, electricity. Super hot summer, air conditioning bills go up. Your average monthly is maybe a little bit higher than what, so you just adjust it up to be the appropriate amount, as long as it's within, you know, the amount that you've got as an income. Otherwise, you need to trim a different category so you can take money out of that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question. So if you go a little bit higher on a month or two months consecutively in a budget item, then you reduce another budget area by that amount. So your overall budget stays basically the same? Exactly. Well, let's say for just for simple simple math, let's say for six months of the year you spend $100 on utilities because you don't need that much air conditioning or heating. On the other six months you spend 200 because you're either heating the house or cooling it. So your average for utility for heating and cooling is 150 but you make the money flow the way the bill goes. So in the months when you only spend 100, you put 50 aside. The months when you spend 200, you pull 50 out of that fund that you set aside. You did that math really fast. I know. I'm that's impressed. why. That's why I kept it really simple. <laughs> I was going to use a dollar 39 and 24 cents. Go ahead and press it. That didn't. That didn't work. You know, speaking about budgeting, how do you budget for items like you mentioned, vacation or Christmas? Monthly. You look at it and make sure that whatever you spend or plan to spend in the current year, and this is another reason for doing a yearly budget, because sometimes you have trips that you're planning or a graduation or a wedding or some big life event that you want to spend more money on. So you plan it at the beginning of the year and you set aside a certain amount every month to meet that yearly goal. It's interesting because if you if you are tracking, you know, we've been through several months of pandemic now and, and uh We've continued to track, and our grocery bill is actually exceeding the amount that we had budgeted for groceries. But the the amount that we had budgeted for eating out is way, way low. Like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we still haven't exceeded our food budget. We haven't exceeded our food budget. Um, and, in fact, we have a significant amount left over in that food budget. I'd like to go back to the financial Bible study, Faith and Money Matters. And in week one, there is a verse, God owns everything. It took me, I don't know how many weeks and how many times of, of reading that Bible verse, God owns everything, before I was able to wrap my arms around it and totally understood the true meaning. Why is that verse so important? Yeah, you were a slow learner, weren't you? <laughs> no, because, again, I thought, wait a minute, this is my money. I worked for it. I earned it. Yeah. yeah. Don't tell me how to spend it. Yeah. I, that was a problem that I had, too, Steve, way back in the beginning. Actually, if you go all the way back to Genesis in the Bible, it talks about the fact that God gave dominion, not ownership, but dominion to man and woman. Uh, that dominion is kind of an administrative role, if you want to say that, a stewardship role, if you want to use that word. But God created the world and everything in it, so how could he not own everything? Now, we possess it, but we possess it because he's blessed us. Those blessings have allowed us to have, you know, the house that we live in or, or the apartment that we rent, the car that we drive, the clothes that we wear. 
those kinds of things. I think when you really uh, sit and meditate just a little bit on the fact that God does own everything and we should be good stewards to manage that, um, that can be a really, really strong, I don't know what the word is, uh, encourager. Uh, it belongs to, in the family of, man, you got to do a good job. I, I think that's... Uh, you know, you, you talk about in in the first chapter, and we, we talk about Deuteronomy, God owns the heavens and the earth, and, and the different verses there. You know, it's not just the first, you know, the verses in Genesis. It goes all the way through and, and talks about the fact that God owns everything. One other action that I feel is crucial, and it's really proven itself out, especially during this pandemic, is having an emergency fund. So, Evelyn, if you can explain what it is and the importance of having that emergency fund. Well, the pandemic is a great example. So many people lost their jobs, and if they didn't have some kind of an emergency fund to fall back on, even if they were getting the supplemental payments from the government, that was a huge hit to the family budget. Mm -hmm. So you never know what's going to happen. I mean, we were um, we live in Florida, so there's always a chance of hurricanes. What happens if a tree smashes into the house and you have to pay your homeowner's deductible insurance? There's just any kind of emergency that can happen at any point in time. And having that emergency fund helps you stay out of debt when those emergencies come up. Is there a certain number that I should have in the emergency fund? Well, for us, and this sounds really overboard, right now we have two years of readily available money because we're taking money out of our savings to live on since we're retired. Mm-hmm. We encourage people to start with a thousand, build it up to three months of sal- or three months of um, expenses, then six months, then a year, and then go to two years. And it may take a while to build it up to that one thousand dollar mark. It's not going to happen overnight. No, but it's not going to happen overnight. But you have to be consistent. You can't just put a few here and then wait six months and do a few more dollars here. You know, that's the other thing it gets back to, Steve. You asked John about the um, the budgeting and the tracking of the money. It, it's consistency. It's knowing where your money's going. It's knowing how to save. It's putting the money in your savings regularly. It's putting money aside for retirement. It's making conscious decisions. So a lot of it is just being very conscious about what you're doing. And let's go back uh, a little bit. If we go back even to uh, the time before the uh, pandemic started, there was a uh, statistic that is floating around, uh, uh, and I think it was verified several times, that said that 50 or 60% of the uh, general population of the United States couldn't handle an unexpected four or $500 bill. In other words, they were going to have to use credit in order to take care of that bill. Well, what that signifies is they had no emergency fund at all. Bring that forward now into the pandemic, and so many people got laid off. So many people lost their jobs. And, you know, they were one check away from disaster, and so many people ended up in disaster because of that. But yet, if they had had six months worth of an emergency fund available to them, right now today they would just be reaching the end of that emergency fund if they didn't have any additional income coming in. Now, everybody, almost everybody has received some kind of income, you know, so they have suffered, sure, and they should have been in a crisis budget automatically as soon as uh, everything started going downhill. 
but but that's just an example of how an emergency fund can really kind of smooth out the various waves. And those listening at home are saying, well, geez, I've got a credit card. Why would I need that? Simple. The interest that you're paying on that credit card this is going to save you a lot of money and a lot of stress. That assumes that you're going to have the money at the end of the month to pay for it. Right. And how many people do? And I want to go back to what John said about the crisis budget. That's another really important thing in managing your money is understanding if there is some sort of a crisis, a health crisis, a pandemic, a hurricane, whatever, and you have to cut your expenses, it helps you decide ahead of time, before all the emotion is involved, where to cut, what to cut, and how much to cut. And that has really given us a big peace of mind. Well, there's no question about it. In fact, until Evelyn fully understood that we could live on a crisis budget, which was, in reality, it was a really, it would have been a real crisis if we'd had to invoke it because we cut our income in our budget by 50%. So if you cut your income in half, now a lot of people, because of the pandemic, have had to go even worse than that, but you, know, you cut your income 50%, what are you going to do? How, what does your budget look like? And so if you do this beforehand, you get it all planned out on paper, then boom. Maybe it's going to be rough, but in reality, it's going to be a smooth process to transition. Right. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, one of my favorite Bible studies. It's called Set Your House in Order. I believe everyone needs to be organized, especially with their key documents. Be prepared for that day because it is coming. And having all your documents in one place, well-organized, alleviates the stress that you're going to put on your family. Because trust me, having gone through this uh, in mentoring other individuals who had a an unexpected death in their family, in the one case that my wife and I were working on, the uh, the wife, her husband died unexpectedly, and he did all the finances. He took care of all the important documents around the house. So when he passed away, she was not aware of him of the bank that they were banking on. So it took us about a month to kind of go through the computer, go through the documents to kind of put together a uh, a list of all the key information that she needed to exist. So, John, why don't you share your own experience that you're currently doing and the importance of setting your house in order? You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, due to some circumstances, I've been investigating uh, significantly what it would be like and, and where somebody might be able to live in an assisted living facility, uh, as I have power of attorney for uh, a friend of mine. And as I uh, asked questions in, in five or six, seven different places, uh, different homes, uh, assisted care facilities, the average age of the people there uh, was over 80, and the predominant percentage of people were women, okay? So it was like 70% women, 30% men. Evelyn, why would it be important for you for us to have our house in order? Well, how many people have we run into at church where something happened to the husband and the wife has no idea? She has no idea where the insurance papers are, how to write checks, what the balance is on the mortgage, how much they owe in debt, and it goes both ways. If the wife is the bookkeeper, the husband may have no idea. But um, you really need to both understand where all that information is. And even if you're a single person, 
your children or your person that's in charge, like your the power of attorney for our friend, need to know where all that information is. So if you have to make decisions for somebody, you have the information you need to make those decisions. What are some of the things that people should be thinking about as they set their house in order? What are some of the areas that are crucial? Well, I think everybody has a sense of what the important documents are in their life, at least some of them. Yet, if they were to think about, well, where will I find those documents, they would have to, in all probability, go to three or four or five different locations, maybe not all of them even within their house. Some of them might be in a safe deposit box or whatever, to put all those documents together. And so, in addition to the ones that they think about, there are many more that they should really be uh, concerned about. For example, do you have a password list that's up to date for all of your financial affairs, your insurance contracts, things like that? I think everybody probably has a password list someplace. If they went down and, and actually tried every one of those passwords that's listed on that list, uh, half of them wouldn't work. Not only do, does everybody have a password list, but what Audrey and I found is I've got my list, she has hers. And they're not the same. Right, and I never told her where mine was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing is how do the bills get paid? You know, which bills are set up automatically, which mm -hmm. ones go through bank pay, which ones do you have set up on credit cards? It's just, it's all that information that you're going to need to know. Well, and you had, I know Audrey does funerals at our parish, and you had, she had a couple that um, took their parents through it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you want to tell that story? Yes, the daughter came into the church, met with Audrey, and because her parents went through this Bible study, Set Your House in Order, they had their entire funeral mapped out. They had uh, the reading selected, what songs they wanted to have sung at the funeral. So the stress was away from the daughter, so she can come in relaxed because the parents received exactly what they wanted to receive from the church. Another thing that people should be concerned about is... Um, having a living will. You know, when you go into a hospital, actually even when you go to the doctor's office most of the time today, they're going to ask you, do you have a you have a living will? Oh, yeah, I got one. Well, not if not, here's one. We've got one for you. And the hospitals, if you don't bring it with you, they're going to make you sign something right then and there. Right. There's such a thing as a Catholic living will. Now, I think that might surprise a lot of people, but um, a Catholic living will is very much concerned about the sanctity of life, what that those last days are going to be like. The typical living will that you're going to get at a hospital or doctor's office is going to say in so many words that if you are considered terminal by two or more physicians, and terminal means less than three months, they have the right, I'm going to repeat that again, they have the right to remove all Hydration, that's water. All food, no even matter how you're receiving it. You know, even if you're getting it uh, in an IV, they have the right to, to withdraw that and just make you comfortable, which is typically filling you up with drugs. Right. You know, they're killing you, basically. There is no sanctity of life in that type of a situation. And so that's why it's so important as a Catholic for you to have a Catholic living will. This Catholic living will is part of the Bible study Central House in Order, and you can take a look at the specifics of this Bible study by going to compasscatholic.org.
Okay, another book that you spent, how long writing, God, Marriage, and Money? Oh, I don't know. It was about seven or eight months. It came together actually pretty fast, yeah. considering it was kind of a God thing. <laughs> <laughs> Explain the importance of this. And, and the target for God, Marriage, and Money are engaged couples, newly married couples. It yeah. doesn't matter what age the newly married or engaged couples are. What we found over the years working with couples who had financial challenges, and these I mean, they could be anything where they weren't on the same page about money, was that it all started because they never talked about money before they got married. Now, a lot of the pre-Canaan material, the marriage prep material, says you should talk about money, you should have a budget, you need to be on the same page, but it doesn't go to that next level of detail, and that's what we wanted to do. So we have things in there like, have you shared your credit scores with each other? Have you talked about how much debt you're getting into for the wedding and the honeymoon? Do you know how much debt your fiancé has so you know how much debt's going to come into the marriage? So it's all those real tactical, practical questions that need to get talked about before they get married so that money is not a problem in the marriage. And another thing is, how much money can I spend without telling you? I think it varies whether it's the male or the female, but it's an important question, especially if you're on a tight budget. Um, how much money can I spend without talking to you? Now, we're not saying that you can't have fun money, okay? And you're not saying you have to seek permission. No. No. It's but just that you both need some money that you can talk about and do on your own. And if I'm going to go out and spend $500, I at least need to tell John that I need to buy this and it's going to be about $500 and we need to talk about how that fits into the budget. Because so many couples just go do their own thing as far as money goes. No, we've run into that quite a, quite a bit. At, at what point in the, in the dating does financial discussion start taking place? Do you wait till there's an engagement or is it before there's an engagement? Or the, and, you know, what does it look like? How do you start that conversation? I think the financial flags start going up as soon as you start dating. I mean, if you're dating somebody and they buy the most expensive thing on the menu every time you go out to eat and then they don't eat it and they don't take leftovers home and they don't, or they don't tip the server, I mean, there's financial red flags that fly up all over the place as soon as you start dating somebody seriously. So I would say there's financial questions and discussions need to start there. I think they, but I think it, it, they would start on a very generalized basis because you're talking about situations that you've encountered. When you, I mean, you're not going to go out in the very first date. Well, how much debt do you have? You know, I'd what's your FICO score? I'd ask for the FICO score before I even dated somebody. <laughs> yeah, you wanted that lobster. How much do you make? <laughs> and you're going to pay off that credit card. So in the book, though, at the end of each chapter, there's a series of questions, discussion yes, questions for them to talk to each other. Can you give us an example of some oh, of those? It was the stuff I said before. What is, what's your credit score? Um, what scares you the most about the way your fiancé handles money? You know, that's a good one because if I see John doing something when I'm engaged to him and it really makes me uncomfortable about how he's handling his money, that's not going to go away just because we say I do. You know, all of a sudden you're not going to have happy land as soon as you get married. So it's a lot of those real deep dive questions on finances. Because the engaged couples that Audrey and I have worked with, it's like you said, John, it's either the male or the female that is the financial person. The other one doesn't care. And they've said that. Well, we don't care about the fine. He's handling that. But that's a mistake. There needs to be, I guess, uh, communication, dialogue on a monthly, weekly basis. Yeah, absolutely. And another great question is understanding which one of you is a saver and which one of you is a spender. And if you're both spenders, 
then big red flags need yeah. to come out. If you're both savers, you're probably going to be okay. But if if you're both spenders, there could be a trouble on the horizon. We also encourage them to talk about the way they were raised to manage money as children. You know, a lot of families will teach children how to budget, how to spend, how to save, and other families just let the kids go and give them whatever they want. So that causes problems in a marriage, too, when you're not raised the same way financially. So, John, what do you do in the case that the husband and the wife are both spenders? How do you deal with them, and how do you start that transition from a bad habit to good habits? I think uh, a couple where they're both both the the man and the woman are spenders, it's just ultra important for them to have a budget so that they can focus by category on what they're spending and, and they can monitor the categories to ensure that they're not exceeding, you know, basically they're not exceeding their income because your categories have to add up to, to what your net income so is. So they're forming a budget before they get married. I would hope so. You're not going to do it a year in advance, probably. No. Uh, but as you get closer to that wedding date, and you're going to combine your incomes, you're, you know, you're going to start living together. You're going to combine your incomes. You know, you need to start out day one knowing what the budget is, how much you can spend in every category. You know, money really boils down to math. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. It's just as simple as not spending more than you have available to spend. Yes, and, and money is a tool, okay? And the problem that most people have is that they're using money to figure out how to find happiness. And um, that's totally the wrong way to go about it because if you're not happy before you buy something, just because you've got it, you know, next week doesn't mean you're going to be happy still uh, or you're going to find happiness. I think uh, happiness comes from your relationship with uh, God, your spirituality, and it's not based on stuff. You, you're not going to be happy just because you've got more stuff than the Joneses next door. And you shouldn't be unhappy if they've got more than you do. It's uh, God has to be number one on your priority list, and then you can work your way down your list. Always remember, it's not about the money. It's about the change. The change of your heart. For John and Evelyn Bean, we want to thank you so much for being with us these past eight years. We've had a lot of fun doing the show, and we hope that you get your finances in order, that you're on your way to financial freedom. As I mentioned, this is the final Manage Your Money podcast. The new podcast is being taken over by the very capable Caitlin Kano. Caitlin's going to call the podcast Money Stories. She's also doing a weekly video series on our YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is called Compass Catholic, and the video series is titled Catholic Stewardship in Real Time. For John and Evelyn Bean, thank you again. This is Manage Your Money God's Way. We're from Compass Catholic Ministries. Compass Catholic Ministries.